Welcome to Leading from Behind, the podcast series about the practice of solution-focused therapy, produced by the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I'm Barry McClatchy, and this is episode number 13, Between Session Tasks in Solution-Focused Practice. Well, thank you for joining me once again here on Leading from Behind. In this episode, we'll be examining the rather unique position taken in solution-focused practice with regard to the idea of using between-session tasks. In particular, we'll look at the rationale for using or not using them, and we'll provide some specific examples of between-session tasks that grew from the development of solution-focused therapy or are in keeping with the assumptions and beliefs that lie at the heart of the approach. Now, the clock is ticking on some registration deadlines for a number of conferences devoted to solution-focused practice that are scheduled for a variety of locations around the world. So, in our resource segment in this episode, I'll provide some reminders about the dates and locations for these events for those of you who might have an interest in furthering your understanding of the approach and meeting others with the same professional interests. So, once again, thank you for joining me. And I hope you'll find this episode useful in developing your skills and knowledge in solution-focused therapy. The idea of a between-session task, or homework as it's described in some approaches, is a very common part of psychotherapy. When using a cognitive behavioral approach, for example, there are fairly standard expectations that the client will keep track and provide some analysis of their thoughts, feelings, or behaviors in between sessions. Now, in most therapeutic approaches, between-session tasks or assignments are considered as a significant part of a course of treatment. The client is expected to engage in activities or practices that invite learning and will hopefully lead to an improvement or resolution of the presenting problem. Now, from a solution-focused perspective, there's nothing inherently wrong with this, providing, of course, that the client finds the task or homework to be useful. But generally, the assignment of such tasks, homework, or even suggestions is prescriptive and is clearly provided from an expert position. Again, there's nothing wrong with this, providing that the client finds the task useful. But from a solution-focused perspective, being prescriptive and taking an expert position doesn't really fit well with our assumptions and beliefs about people, problems, and change. From our perspective, this position regarding tasks carries a particular message to the client. In other words, this homework is designed to help you resolve your concerns. If you do it, you'll begin to make progress. And if you don't do it, then it will say something about your willingness to change or resolve your problems. Now, that might sound harsh, but if you look at some of the research literature regarding between-session tasks, you'll often find the word compliant to describe those who complete their assignments or homework. This might suggest that clients who don't complete tasks are somehow non-compliant or resistant. It also underlines how, in many approaches, the completion of assignments or homework is viewed as a key element in the process of change. Now, of course, in solution-focused therapy, we hold some very key assumptions about the notion of change. For example, we view change as something that's constant and inevitable, and, as such, isn't dependent on whether a client completes or does not complete a between-session task. Secondly, we view clients as having expertise about their own lives. 
We take the position that each client may have their own unique experience and understanding of what works for them in achieving change. As a result, we might say that clients will decide on their own task of sorts, formal or otherwise, between sessions. Furthermore, in solution-focused practice, a between-session task that's helpful and fits for one person may not necessarily be helpful for another. So, very clearly, we would always adopt the position that an uncompleted or unhelpful task doesn't reflect negatively in any way on the client. Finally, we also hold the position in solution-focused practice that people's unique solutions may have very little to do with the problem. In most approaches, between-session tasks are targeted very specifically at the client's problem. Again, using cognitive behavioral therapy as an example, a client with depression or anxiety might be asked to identify and challenge their thinking processes when those problems arise. Or, other approaches might encourage people to do things like going for a walk or scheduling time to engage in a relaxation exercise, since these are believed to be helpful things to do with those particular problems. But again, in solution-focused work, we'd say that change sometimes occurs as a result of something that may have very little to do with the problem itself. Sometimes this is serendipitous, such as when a client finds a job or starts a new relationship. But the point is still the same. Change often has little to do with the presence or absence of between-session tasks. Now, none of this is meant to suggest that between-session tasks are not helpful or useful in solution-focused practice. But from a minimalist perspective, we might say that they're often unnecessary. In keeping with the notion of leading from behind and clients' expertise about their own lives, we would simply trust that clients will decide what, if anything, they'll do when they leave our office that might result in some kind of positive change. At the same time, though, we also know that clients sometimes want a between-session task or suggestion. It's very common, for example, for some clients to simply expect that there will be some kind of task, suggestion, homework, or assignment. In these instances, the solution-focused practitioner can be at risk of stepping into a position of expertise. It's important, therefore, to ensure that when we do give a task, that it remains consistent with the principles, assumptions, and beliefs that form the core of the solution-focused position. Finally, and even though this may sound obvious, there might be times where our clinical judgment leads us to suggest a between-session task. In solution-focused practice, this might be a decision we make when it's clear that what we're doing as a therapist isn't working and it's time to do something different. So, let's shift now into a very specific discussion of between-session tasks in solution-focused therapy. Keep in mind, of course, that our perspective on this subject is certainly not the definitive one, since other solution-focused practitioners may certainly hold different views. First, we take the position that clients should be viewed as the best expert on whether or not they choose to complete a task or suggestion, when one is given. As such, there is no such thing as non-compliance, or for that matter, resistance, in solution-focused practice. Second, if a task or suggestion was helpful or useful, it's purely the result of the client's efforts. On the other hand, if the task or suggestion wasn't helpful, it simply means that I, as the therapist, didn't choose the right one. As a reflection of these two positions in solution-focused practice, we're quite intentional in not bringing up the between-session task during a follow-up session. So in other words, if I offer a client a suggestion or between-session task at the end of the first session, I'll be very intentional in not asking about the task itself if a follow-up session occurs. Instead, I'll trust that the client will bring it up 
if it's important to do so. In our solution-focused practice, we also like to pay very close attention to the language we use in describing the concept of the between-session task. We prefer, for example, to avoid the use of the word homework. And, even though we've been using it throughout this discussion for descriptive purposes, even the word task. Both infer the idea that something must be done. There's an obligation when we agree to do a task. And, as we recall from our school days, it's considered a failing when we don't do our homework. Instead, in solution-focused practice, we prefer the use of the word suggestion, or to describe the activity as an experiment. The client, of course, can take or leave a suggestion. And an experiment is simply something that can prove to make a difference, or not. So let's look now at some very specific examples of some between-session tasks that might be useful in solution-focused practice. Keep in mind that there are certainly others, but these are some of the more common ones. Now, as we've mentioned in a previous episode, between-session tasks generally fall into two categories. Ones that involve noticing or paying attention to something, and ones that involve doing something. So the most common noticing task is one which the Milwaukee team identified as the formula first session task. In short, this simply involves inviting the client to notice times when things go well, or when something happens that the client wants to see keep happening or happen more often. And of course, we'd ask the client to notice what was different about these times or moments, how it happened, and what difference it made. The point behind this task is to invite the client to pay attention to what's wanted, rather than what's not we see our clients as already having a lot of expertise about the problem. So asking them to notice the problem would, to a solution-focused practitioner, be rather redundant. This same classic noticing task is also very useful with couples and families. We might ask couples, for example, to catch each other doing something right. Or, in other words, to notice times when the other is doing something that makes a difference in a positive way to the relationship. With families, this can be a very helpful task for parents who often have lots of expertise about the problems presented by a child or adolescent. Instead, this task invites a parent to notice the more desired behavior. A further example of a noticing task is the rate and predict exercise described by Steve DeShazer and others. It can be helpful in cases where the client struggles with depression or anxiety or self-esteem concerns or some other personal concern. The night before a day begins, the client is asked to predict, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10, of course, being best and 1 is the opposite, how the following day will go. At the end of the day, the client is asked to rate how it actually went. Over time, the client is encouraged to notice what's different about the days when the actual rating exceeded the predicted one. Now, let's look at a few doing tasks. Generally, in solution-focused practice, we wouldn't ask clients to necessarily do something very specific. Instead, we'd simply ask them to decide to do something small and achievable that represents something they'd like to see themselves do or do more often. So, for example, we might ask the client, again as an experiment, to pick a day in advance. On that day, we'd ask the client to do either of the following. To decide to do one small thing on that day they'd like to see themselves do more often. Or, alternatively, we might ask the client to act as if the miracle or their preferred future had already occurred. In both cases, we wouldn't necessarily specify what that one small thing might be, nor detail what acting as if the miracle had happened might involve. We'd leave that to the client to decide, based on their own expertise, what actions or behaviors might be involved. Another example of a doing task is what's known as the coin flip experiment. 
we would ask the client to begin each day over a period of time by flipping a coin. If the coin turns up heads, the client would decide to do one or more small actions that he'd like to see himself do, do more of, or do differently. On the days where the coin turns up tails, we'd simply ask the client to have a regular day. This doesn't mean that they'd have a bad day, but rather that they didn't have to be intentional in doing something that might make a difference. The coin plays a useful purpose in two ways in this experiment. First, it's the coin that decides when the effort will be made, rather than the client's feelings. As you know, we can sometimes wait a long time for a feeling to come when it comes to doing something that might be helpful. Secondly, the flipping of the coin encourages small steps rather than big ones, since there will be days, based on the laws of probability, that the client won't be required to be intentional. Finally, another variation of this same doing task involves using odd and even-numbered days. Even-numbered days, for example, can be identified as the day for doing one or more small actions that are part of the client's preferred future. Odd-numbered days would be seen as days where intentional effort is not required. This same task is also a useful one when a client is faced with a difficult decision. On even-numbered days, the client might be encouraged to simply act as if they've made the decision, such as leaving a relationship, while the odd-numbered days might be to act as if he or she has decided to remain in the relationship. Sometimes within these two different kinds of days, the client will learn something that will be helpful in making the decision. Within all doing tasks, there's also a noticing element. In each case, we want to encourage clients to notice what's different about the times when they do something that they like to do more often. So in closing, between-session tasks can be a useful element in solution-focused practice. However, there is certainly an argument for being careful in our decisions about when or if a task seems to be a useful idea. We want to ensure that we characterize tasks as suggestions or experiments rather than anything that suggests an obligation. We also want to make sure that our clients are up for such tasks and that they make sense to the client. More important, we don't want our clients to experience a sense of failure through these tasks. As a result, leaving it in the client's hands to initiate conversation about the outcome is always a good idea. Finally, as a solution-focused practitioner, we'd simply encourage you to pay very close attention over time to the usefulness of between-session tasks, particularly the doing ones, that you might give to your clients. Notice, for example, how often clients indicate that they've done the task, and of course, how many of them have found it to be useful. Over time, this information will likely tell you more about when or if you want to include such tasks in your own practice. We've mentioned some upcoming conferences devoted to solution-focused practice in previous episodes, but a few are drawing closer. So it seems reasonable, then, to use the resource segment of this episode as a reminder of these events. Again, to view the link for more information about each conference mentioned, you can visit the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca. So, let's begin with the annual conference of the European Brief Therapy Association. It will be held from Friday, September 27th to Sunday, September 29th, 2013, in Bern, Switzerland. There's a very broad offering of seminars and notable presenters devoted to solution-focused therapy, coaching, and other applications of the approach. The conference theme for this year is I Am My Style. The second conference is one we mentioned several episodes ago. 
The Australasian Association for Solution-Focused Brief Therapy will hold its first-ever conference from July 26 to 28, 2013, on the Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. If you're in that part of the world or you have the good fortune to be traveling there in the coming weeks, time is running short to register. And finally, I'd like to mention once again the Solution-Focused Brief Therapy Association's annual North American Conference. This year, it will be held in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It will take place from November 6 to 11, 2013. The theme for this year's event is One Heart, Many Hands. Registration hasn't begun at this point, but keep your eyes open for this at the conference website at sfbta.org. So we've reached the end of this episode, and I'd like to thank you once again for joining me. In episode 14, coming up next, we'll begin with the first in a series of episodes about follow-up sessions in solution-focused therapy. In particular, this next episode will take a broad look at follow-up sessions, while future ones will take a more detailed examination of the subject as we return to our ongoing case example. And, just as a reminder, new episodes of Leading From Behind are available on or about the 15th and 30th of each month. You can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and have it delivered to your computer, tablet, or mobile device. You can also find us in the iTunes store in the training subsection of the Education Podcasts. And of course, if you have comments or questions about this episode of the podcast, please feel free to do so on the podcast page of our website at hbtc.ca or by sending us an email to feedback at hbtc.ca. Finally, our thanks to Dano at danosongs.com, provider of royalty-free music used under Creative Commons license. So you've been listening to Episode 13 of Leading From Behind, the Solution-Focused Therapy Podcast. I'm Barry McClatchy from the Halifax Brief Therapy Center. I hope you'll join us again. (music) 